setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And uh, John, it's been about a week since our last podcast, I think. Uh, give or take, five to seven days. We it we you know we change the day we record on every week, so it's hard to tell exactly you know if it's been a week or not. You know. Yeah. But, also, uh, we have no sense of time in the pandemic. Right, but we've been really staying on top of it, getting out that quality content for our tens of listeners. Yeah, I don't know, uh, even really, uh, um, I mean, in some ways there's been a, I've, I mean, I've been following along with magic and I've been practicing stuff, but also it feels a little, I, I think in some parts of our lives, it feels like everything's been on pause. So you kind of just put everything on pause. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, um, I, I know. Absolutely. What you mean, I, I, um, I've actually only been thinking about magic a lot more than normal over the last month and a half or so as I've been like been then the last person to finally jump into like virtual shows and, and 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 setting that kind of a thing up and then i've been thinking about it nonstop. and so that's uh um, so this is a welcome return to the podcast for me I'm, I'm i've been thinking a lot about a lot of these things now and uh, um these virtual shows are hard <laughs> I or, don't or, or making a virtual setup is hard i don't envy magicians now i mean although magicians i would say out of everybody um adapted to the zoom world faster than anybody else uh there is not a ton of stand-up comedy you can see stand-up shows you can go to open mics virtually but there's not the evolution of the presentation uh, mm-hmm. through zoom the way that has happened on um uh in the magic world yeah i've seen a couple i've seen uh like um baby wants candy i saw a couple of those shows and those have been fun but yeah, yeah. I, I i i do feel like um uh, the magic format has transitioned pretty effectively um, above a lot of other, a lot of other forms. Uh, probably because there was already, um, evolution or there was already a movement of magic towards camera work, right. um, through TV stuff, but all, but particularly through like Instagram that, yeah. um, there was already, a um, people were already getting used to the idea of I'm doing magic. That's only possible on camera. Um, and I don't think there were similar movements in terms of theater or stand-up comedy. Uh, and there, there probably still aren't. I mean, early in the pandemic, there were a lot of theater companies trying to put up um, their versions of plays and stuff like that. And I feel like in a way, um, that's probably still happening. But I, I feel like a lot of the creativity a lot of us had around, hey, I want to keep doing art in the pandemic in the first like two months of the pandemic, then just kind of fell off to like, let me just let me just uh, stay in my hole until this is over. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot. A lot of people use a lot of creative energy right from the get go. Um, I guess. I mean. I. You know. I think we've talked about this every episode we've been on, but I don't think anybody expected it to go as long as it has. Uh, so everyone's like, two months. I can do a play or whatever, or I can do a magic show or something, and then uh, and they use it all <laughs> energy. Um, yeah. Um, uh, but you know who uh, hasn't stayed idle. Whoever edited Derek Delgadio's uh, Hulu special. Oh, man, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, that is, uh, we do have a very special episode today to uh, talk about that. Also, I mean, we also uh, um, asked this person about, uh, I believe uh, our guest today has done plays in the pandemic, or done a play in the pandemic, or um, oh. some readings, and even uh, filmed a movie. I don't know if she's allowed to talk about that. You might have to edit this out. I don't know. If, um, we'll, have to, we'll have to ask her about that. At any rate, um, she, Dave, she, d- she did a whole season of The Mandalorian by herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She uh, did the Foley work for Baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that reference checks out. I, I, I guess that someone's doing Foley work, right? Um, 
Uh, at any rate, um, this is my friend. She is a very talented singer and actress. She was, uh, uh, and she joined me to uh, do my show with me in Edinburgh in 20, uh, what year was that now? 2019? Uh, I'm trying to. Yeah. 2019. Yep, 2019. Uh, um, yeah, 2019. Uh, it's my friend, Aaron Hollander. Aaron Hollander, welcome, uh, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thank you. Hello. So, Aaron, we've brought you on as not a magician. Uh, but as Baby Yoda's Foley artist, yes. Yeah, yes. as Baby Yoda's Foley I have Foley so artist. many questions also, about how he made a delightful TV show. <laughs> uh, what's the deal John, with unfortunately, I can't answer any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, you've got uh, you've had a lot of um, experience with the magic world since you um, uh, have known John for a long time. And also, yes. you guys were immersed in the Edinburgh Fringe in 2019, which feels like 10 years ago at this point. It feels so long ago. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so John had a particular reason for inviting you on the show. John, what was that? So, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk about, obviously, one of the big things in Magic over the past couple of weeks um, has been that uh, Derek Delgadio's very, very successful and uh, renowned show in and of itself uh, has moved to Hulu. And I, watching it, I had some unique thoughts about... Um, or observations about how I felt they decided to adapt it as a show. And uh, I wanted sort of a, a non-magician, but knew more about magic than your average non-magician, uh, to uh, to ask about how they felt about uh, this as a magic show, and also just as a theatrical experience, and, and wanted to get some fresh eyes on it. Um, you and I have both seen it. Uh, um, I saw it twice in Los Angeles, which I actually, actually I was meaning to look it up. I actually do not remember exactly when the Los Angeles run was. Would that have been 2017, maybe? I'm not 100% sure. Um, I almost want to say it's 16. I don't know. It was before the New New York run, I believe, right? Yes, it was. Okay. Um, so I can, uh, I'll, I'll pull that up while, while, while we talk. Uh, and just and, for just for contrast, we also saw uh, Helder's show and um, – both of Helder's uh, virtual Zoom shows. We have seen Just both of Helder's virtual uh, uh, shows now, um, the present and the future. Yeah. Um, so running out of running out of names in that series. Tell them about it. <laughs> um, um, so John, uh, kick us off. Like what? Uh, what? Uh, I'm curious because you mentioned that there you had thoughts about the the uh, you know any translation from a live show to a um, filmed entertainment, there's going to be some compromises. Yeah, well, first of all, so so I, I don't have the exact run, but I did find a review from the LA Times about Derek's show that was written in May of 2016. So you're right. It was um, uh, early to mid-2016, turns out. So, um, and this is probably just at the start of, that, start of that run, and I probably ran for a little under a year, is my guess. Um, I uh, really enjoyed the show and I saw it live. I was interested in the fact that it felt like they um, intentionally intentionally traded in the um, success of the magic or, or, or they, they intentionally sort of like traded in um, the way the magic is seen. I think I think if you were just going to make a traditional magic show and put it on like a Hulu or Netflix, um, any sort of format like that, I think you would probably not make some of the choices they made. I think there were a lot of edits and a lot of cuts and a lot of jumps, which of course they knew. Uh, um, and I think what they did is they they instead doubled down and focused on sort of the themes and the emotions of the show itself. Ultimately, I think to the show's benefit, um, really. And I, I was kind of curious. I've seen these 
effects before that occur in the show. I've talked about them many times with many people. Um, so I know them very well. So I was very curious to see sort of how they translated regardless as pieces of magic to somebody that hasn't seen them, that hasn't known uh, about them. Um, you know, things like the brick and, and, you know, when, when he's, uh, you know, spoiler alert to the end in and of itself. I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't even watched it. Uh, yeah, watch I guess it don't. I guess here. don't listen to the. Yeah, don't listen to this if you haven't watched uh, in and but, of itself. But at the end, when he is, you know, listing off all the I am cards, and it's from, but it's it's clearly between different shows, unless David Blaine and Bill Gates and Tim Gunn all just went to the same show, uh, which seems, you know, <laughs> unlikely. Um, uh, things like that, I, I feel, are are like rules that you that they broke in, in terms of like showing magic to an audience on camera. But I think they were conscious of that and aware of that. And, and, and that was sort of what they were going for. I was curious how, how that translated to um, magicians and non-magicians alike. Uh, well, we should also just ask Aaron, what do you think of the show? <laughs> Hated it. No, I loved it. It was great. Um, I was actually, uh, it's interesting, John, because you mentioned it um, after I talked the first time and I told you that I'd watched it. Um, and, uh, you mentioned that you were, that you were curious about that. And what's funny is that I, I think this just goes to show how long it has been since I have had any kind of involvement in magic other than watching the occasional live show of yours. Um, uh-huh. I didn't even notice <laughs> like the cuts and the edits and all that stuff. And then once you said it, I was like, oh yeah. So then I had to watch it again <laughs> with that in mind. And once, <laughs> once I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, there's a ton of like cuts here and everything. And I think the fact that I didn't notice it is probably a good thing because um, obviously you as a magician would notice that, but if they're trying to, to make this, if, to give this sort of broader appeal, um, they, it makes sense for them to, I think, sacrifice that a little bit. And it occurred to me, like, um, as you said, I, I think it is a little bit more about the theater than about the magic in this case, maybe live. It wasn't, but because it's about, a little bit more about the theater, we can sort of, suspend our disbelief and accept the magic for what it is rather than like trying to dissect it um it's it's kind of like when you see a show like a like a theater show if they have some cool special effect you're not sitting there going wait a second i know how they did that you just kind of accept it for being this really cool thing Mm -hmm. um and it also occurred to me like uh i know you've talked to me before um you've told me about like you know when a magician brings somebody up on stage they that that person is sort of um a proxy for the audience who's too far away. You know, we trust that person to, to tell us that what's happening is, is legitimate and very cool up close, you know? Um, and that for me is kind of like what the audience in this special was. They're amazed and therefore I am amazed. Um, right. And that was sort of kind of almost enough, you know? Um, but yeah. That is uh, what I do almost when I enough is, on stage. Uh, is, is almost enough say- is the, uh, the working title for In and Of Itself. <laughs> right. <laughs> in and Of Itself. Colon, almost enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, when you're talking about bringing a proxy up on stage, that is what I do when I bring an audience member on stage. I go, now tell them how cool this is. Up, up close. <laughs> uh, make sure they all know. Um, you joke, but I've heard you say exactly that, John. Oh, have yeah, I? I was going to say. Maybe, hopefully it was. Wait, that was that a joke or was that? Because I've definitely heard you say that. <laughs> oh, hopefully I do that in a fun way. Yeah, um, ironically. <laughs> Okay, good. Uh, no, I have very little self awareness, I guess. Um, uh, that's not what I do. Uh, yeah, so I think that um, that's interesting. I guess I, sh- I guess I overestimated um, 
how noticeable some of those cuts would be in the magic if you didn't know the show and know what was coming, I suppose. I feel like um, the, the, I mean, tell me if you agree with this. I feel like they're kind of uh, definitely betting on the, um, your, your kind of using the, um, you're, you're like taking the audience's, word for it or something that it was amazing at times you know, like, like that that the magic is convincing mm-hmm. in a way that isn't necessarily like oh it's convincing to me on the screen right now but right. like look at how amazed everybody is yeah, like uh, said, much similar guys. to uh the people in <laughs> david blaine's um street magic um right uh i also think that delgadio um is very sort of convincing on his own in a way there's something mm-hmm. about his affect that doesn't feel hard selly anyway about the magic or something. It's that mm-hmm. it's that quiet sadness in his eyes that someone mentioned in the show. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, he does have a quiet sadness. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that quiet. <laughs> it's just sad. <laughs> I'm, not just trying just to, sad. I'm not trying to fire shots at him. I think he's an immensely talented man, um, and uh, I have no I have no hard feelings towards him. But I think that's a bummer of a show. Immensely talented and immensely sad. He's also one of the guys that um, has been somewhat vocal about like not really liking other magic <laughs> or magicians. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Aaron, actually, to your point about uh, um, like maybe it was supposed to the magic was a bit highlighted more in the show. Not really, actually. In fact, one of my early oh, criticisms okay. of the show was that I thought it worked a little bit too hard to not be labeled as a magic show. And I didn't like mm. how it was running away from that. You know, it, I, I think I, I, I've changed my tune on this having rewatched it. But for a while, thinking back to it, my memory of the show was like, it's like he wrote a whole show to not have to call himself a magician. Uh, so when people would be like, oh, you're that magician, you'd be like, am I? I'm a many, I'm many <laughs> things. Um, See, that is really interesting because I, I, I kind of agree with you. For me, I think I referred to it. I was telling my brother about it. And I think I referred to it as a magic adjacent theatrical experience. Um, but when... <laughs> uh, when my boyfriend was telling his family about it, he was like, oh, it's a magic show. And I was like, well, it's kind of. And he goes, oh, I thought it was a magic show. <laughs> so I guess for someone who's not used to watching magic shows, there's lots of magic in it. Did You, you didn't happen to watch the, uh, uh, the trailer for this, did you? No, I didn't. Because I, I sent the trailer to a friend of mine, and, um, and they responded by going, yeah, if you hadn't told me, I would have no clue there was any magic in that whatsoever. They don't really refer to it at all. Um, or yeah. show any magic, or um, I, I. The only reason I've, I've sort of changed my tune on, on that sort of uh, comment on the show is that if, uh, I, I saw an interview. I think when it just opened in New York by Lawrence O'Donnell Jr., who I like a lot, anchor for MSNBC, and um, and he was interviewing him and Frank Oz, and he basically his first question, which I imagine is the first question of many interviewers, was along the lines of like, "Is it offensive if I call this a magic show? Like, am I not allowed to use that?" term I, I i don't really know and and his answer was like no it you can call it you know that like if that's how you sort of see it and if that's what the show sort of <laughs> means and is to you and you gotta give an answer that was like sort of defended the idea of the term magic show a little bit and so mm-hmm. i was i was that that you know that made me, made, made me content maybe i just am very insecure about like the term magic and magicians <laughs> you know you know what it reminded me of like i, I do feel like i've seen some some magicians like I don't know, maybe you might tell me that I'm wrong, but it feels like sometimes magicians, when they get to like a certain point, it's almost like, as you say, kind of try to break away from the magic a little bit and, you know, sort of focus more on storytelling um, or, 
maybe just contextualizing the magic, but it reminded me a little bit of um, remember when we saw Luke Germay's show in Edinburgh, and like I felt like there was <laughs> almost no magic in that. The three of us did see it together, and like I remember leaving and being like, "Was that a magic show?" Well, that I'm was an interesting sure. one because there was there was there was lots of magic, but it was like three only three different things. Yeah, exactly. It was like there were, there was, were three effects in the show. Yes. And it was unfortunate because there were like, you know, not any statement about Luke Jermay, Edinburgh is what Edinburgh is. There were like 15 people on that particular day. Um, so much yeah. so that that was such a concerning idea to him that when I tried to say hi afterwards and strike up any kind of friendly conversation, the only thing on his mind was to tell more people and then he had to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I just uh, want to tell anyone out there listening to this podcast that uh, I'm not going to name who you are, but it's okay if you're gay. So, <laughs> oh um, you I'm should tell gonna, your parents. You should tell them. You should live up to your That's identity. Right. But I'm not going to reveal it. So there's no way for us to check to see if I'm reading your mind correctly. <laughs> That's right. That oh was, my yeah, God. there was a couple of those in the show where it was like, well, it was that, and then and then it was somebody who had asked about like whether they should get a boob job to please their boyfriend. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, less convincing when there's only twelve people in the audience, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. I thought so about that. So too. I was. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I also thought about that moment when I was watching the Derek Delgadio show. And you know that moment he looks at, you've seen the recorded version, I think. So it's like he looks at this man and he, he pauses for a second. And he just goes, keep up the good work. And I was like, right. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> he, Interesting. He, uh, he, yes. And even when I saw that, he would oftentimes, um, every now and again, he would not say what the thing was, but he would, um, <laughs> uh, he would make it, he would make some reference to it or something that made it clear what it was that they they had had. I think he did that to me once. I can't remember what it was. Um, <laughs> he uh, just points at someone who's like, uh, you're gay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, and they're like, that's not my car. And he's like, yeah, 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 I know. You got and he's like, dreamer. Yeah. Please but, sit you down. Know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you, are, you are a homosexual. And the guy's I, like, uh, he, holds, he holds up like, I'm a painter. And then he like <laughs> takes out a pen, he crosses it out, and he goes like, no, you're a homosexual. Hopefully, I, I see what I see. Uh, I think uh, I think maybe the first time and I'm I went, the Rulatista. Sorry, <laughs> I might have picked um, magician, and he might have done something like that. You know, uh, he might have made some reference to the fact that we were both magicians without saying like, he, "I, you know, you are a magician." Or something along. Something he he along just looks lines. at you. He looks at you, and he's like, "You fucking stole my act." <laughs> no, no other things. I wish I could I, stole his act. I, a, a I remember speaking of the Germay show, I wish that those like um like little blind item things that he said, it would have been funny if the, if one of them was like, um whoever this is, I just want to say that you're correct. The reverse swastika is an Indian symbol of peace, and there's no problem with you uh painting it on the houses <laughs> of your neighbors. <laughs> or just something like totally because they were all like so um socially acceptable of course the thing you're going to say about plastic surgery is like you should uh believe in your inner beauty and you shouldn't do that to impress somebody else you know or or he should have like taken a contrarian stance on it and be like oh i see what you're talking about guys like tits honey okay if you want to make your boyfriend happy you want to get a ring on that finger you know you gotta make it you gotta do something for him every now and again yeah <laughs> anyway please stand up and so we can all we can all applaud you yeah um so one thing that you guys are sort of touching on is that um, 
there. Uh, so I, I want to share a text that a friend of mine, Nick Mandernack, who is uh, one of my favorite people and a very funny man. Um, and I love his opinions about shows in general. But anyway, he just saw in and of itself. Um, he said, I watched it of itself, thought of you. And I said, oh, uh, what did you think? And this is what he texted. He said, I was totally engrossed when watching, but the dramatic self-mythologizing was nauseating. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually don't feel that about this show, but I feel that um, <laughs> actually then he texted, the man would learn card tricks from the devil and then three vomiting emojis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I don't think that about this show. I actually, di- it didn't bother me in the show. I actually, I enjoyed the book writing of this show, but I do think that this show had this influence, this knock-on influence in the magic world, where I feel like after we saw it in LA, like fifty percent of the shows or acts that I saw at the castle, the uh, from that point had some kind of like, you know, uh, I'm doing the three card Monty. Now let me tell you all about. My personal life and how, right. you know, like weaving these like kind of boring narratives around traditional effects. Right. Yeah. If you want to ruin a magic trick, all you have to do is is um, is is tell a story about Houdini um, for about seven yeah. minutes, with a notable exception. <laughs> I will say, I there was a time I called out a magic trick and I didn't give an exception and I felt bad about it. I want to do both those now. But uh, 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 I think one of the my favorite performers. Um, and also somebody who breaks what I feel are the negative stereotypes about these tricks every time he attempts one is Taylor Hughes, and I want to give him credit for that. I think I months ago I I talked about how like every I was avoiding Rubik's cube magic. Everybody did it the same way, and it was like always exactly the same. Taylor is someone that still kind of does this traditional Rubik's cube stuff, but it's very 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 different and very fitted to him and his style. And the same thing, he has a Houdini thing that I think is not nearly as boring as most like. There was once a man named Harry Houdini, and then everyone's supposed to like, you know, gasp at the at the mention of that name. So I want to give I want to give him credit <laughs> where credit is due, uh, Taylor. Here. I also I you know I also Taylor was like has been the most helpful person in in wading through all of this like virtual show equipment and how to use it and handle it and all that stuff. So I have to publicly thank him for that. Taylor Hughes, great guy, very helpful. Send him a gift yeah. basket. Not a serial killer. He's also he's also forcing you to purchase all that equipment from him. Yeah, it all says Chase and Wonder on the side. Yeah, uh, along with his um, his uh, like uh, wax melt scents scent things and Tupperware. Yeah, so it's just a huge multi level marketing thing that, that Taylor go, Hughes is doing. I go, Chris. This camera is actually only uh, late like listed as eight hundred dollars on most online retailers, and he goes, No, no, right. to get a good one, you got to get it from me for twenty two hundred. And I went, yeah. okay, that seems odd, but it checks out, I guess. Well, he's a local regional distributor. Uh, he, also <laughs> right. sells, he sells Amway. Um, I don't know. Did, did you, uh, by the way, Taylor also has a lovely gypsy thread, um, which is very nice. Yeah. He, but also he is, Taylor's he is a good at, writer. He's great at what, what the, the Rubik's Cube thing. Like everybody has a Rubik's Cube routine about like chance and odds and, you know, craziness and chaos and all that sort of stuff. That's generally how they all kind of funnel down. Um, but his, his, like the chasing wonder brand is so clear for him and that style and that idea. And his is like 
maneuvered to that and, and is, is sort of molded to that so clearly and so effectively that it doesn't feel like a traditional sort of someone talking about the all the odds and like how crazy things can be and you know all that stuff like his his really sort of fits him and who he is and all of the stuff even classic tricks like the gypsy thread are, are able to, to to do that in some way um and so like even if he is sort of wading toward of uh towards the waters of tricks that are fairly more common or even like the kinds of presentations that you might uh, see with those sorts of things. He's still able to do them in a way that is distinctly him, which I think is very impressive and a lot harder to do than, um, than it, than it looks. I think that the, um, what you were talking about with the Germay show too, was like, there was a lot of script around only a a few effects. And I I don't know. I felt like uh, that year that I felt uh, that happened. I, I remember just seeing like, Someone just start into a story at the castle and just be like, oh my god, just do, yeah. just do your double lift or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor once said something to me. This is about six months ago, maybe seven, eight months ago, on a Zoom call, and I can't think of something you had now. Anytime a show like a mentalism show or something like that comes up, and he was talking about why he hates mentalism. I'm sorry, I hope he wasn't saving this joke or anything. I'm going to credit it to him, but the idea was he said like he was talking about why he hates mentalism, and and he was saying because mentalism is, you know, when you take all the fun, exciting parts out of magic, but leave all the boring process. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that and was you, a And you leave a little bit of the hucksterism of, right. I'm, re- I'm really doing that. You know, I think some of the... Uh, it's funny, actually, when In and of Itself first came along, I remember magicians... Um, I feel like magicians have had this sort of fraught relationship with that show, and maybe with Derek in, himself... Um, as being sort of like the representative of magic, but also a guy who kind of um, distances himself from other magicians mm-hmm. or the industry in general. Um, it's almost like he's the, I'm trying to think, it, in a way, it's almost like he's the Nanette of magic or something. <laughs> um, like, there's other examples where it's uh, this is this is a this is a not complimentary by comparison and i don't mean this to be an insult but it's almost like he's the uh, songbird kenny g of magic <laughs> like the thing that breaks over into like mainstream like your aunt and uncle have seen in and of itself um and so i feel like magicians have had when it first came out when when it was a live show i remember people going to see it and magicians saying oh there's not much there isn't much magic in it uh, you know, there's only so so and so many effects or whatever. Right. Um, now, I see magicians, in my opinion, maybe going a little f- too far in the other direction, in saying that, um, in and of itself is the best live theater experience I've ever had. And right. when I hear that, I'm like, how much theater have you seen? <laughs> <laughs> that is something, you know, and it, I, I've also seen that from um, from non-magicians i've even seen like I've, I've looked up reviews of this that i've seen people from like npr stuff who wrote that this you know this adaptation captures that this was one of like the most emotionally moving experiences i've ever had and uh um yeah i, I think there is an element that, uh, with a show like this that i think when someone's new and popular and sort of on the scene and being very very successful i still do think there is just sort of a tendency to try to like knock them down a little bit and so i think uh you know I, I feel like I saw, I've seen that in, in Magic too, where, where there's a tendency to be like, yeah, but, you know, wasn't that much magic. I can figure out, you know, how to, yeah. you, you just, you you just, you know, got their credit card information and, and emailed their whole family. You know, like that's, like that's some <laughs> right. easy, <laughs> yeah, replicable it, thing. 
It's funny, Chris, uh, you mentioned, you're like, oh, this is a show that your aunt and uncle have seen because, so I had heard about the show from John, but also I was reminded of it because my aunt posted about it on Facebook that, um, (laughs) and I just, I was curious and I was like, what did she say about it? And I realized I was reading what she said and she never mentions magic once in her thing. She calls it an unusual theater production. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, a composite of many performances of his one man show, um, but like it's it it's it's funny that um yeah it's I, I guess different people with different like familiarity with magic maybe have like I mean even among people who aren't familiar with magic they just sort of perceive this show in in like widely sort of variable ways you know where one person goes oh this is definitely a magic show another person goes it's an unusual theater experience <laughs> right um where where do you and put it wrong. in your um in your like list of uh, well, I mean, because you saw it on screen, but like, mm-hmm. I, let me just ask you this. What are some of the best live theater experiences that you've had? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, I'm a theater person, so I've I've had many. Um, I, uh, oh, Chris, this is a very hard question to ask <laughs> me with no warning. Wait, wait. You think about, think about it, and I'll just mention that like, you know, okay. I, I thought seeing it in and of itself was very good. I thought mm-hmm. it was great, great even. Um, but I mean, I also saw Hamilton, and I yeah. saw Sleep No More, and yeah. you know I saw I don't know like I've I've seen uh, like every brilliant thing at the Edinburgh Fringe. Like yeah. I would say there's I could think of probably ten things I've seen just at Edinburgh Fringe that were more like uh, Nassim or like just things that were more. Um, you know what I mean? Like oh, this, absolutely, oh, this is great. God, but I, I wouldn't put it in. Oh my god. Yes, Baby Reindeer would definitely be in in the top ten there. Um, man, that was that good. is a hard I show just, to describe. That's why. Uh, Richard. Um, that, that was Richard Gad. Richard I Gad. Guess, second Richard Gad. Edinburgh show. I don't know. Or, or I guess he'd probably done a whole bunch yeah. before. Um, what is that? What was the name of the show? Something monkeys. Uh, was it hundred monkeys? I feel like there's a magic trick close to that uh, name, and so I'm, I'm Dan dancing monkey monkey. I don't remember something with a monkey though. You're right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that was, oh my God. Yes, that would be, for example, a t- I feel like a few things at Edinburgh I probably would have said, like, I mean, but it's also hard to compare theatrical experiences in general. I mean, this was nothing like, say, Pamela's Palace, but like, I. <laughs> Pamela's Palace. But I probably had more fun at Pamela's Palace, but this was amazing. It's just nothing like that, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's a. I, w- I don't think I would say the most moving theatrical experience I've ever had. Um, but it was great. I mean, I didn't see it live, but uh, yeah, you know, I watched it twice. Thoroughly enjoyed it both times. Teared up both times. You know, obviously, it's 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 good. Um, but uh, I mean, and and Derek Delgado himself is like this was my first ever exposure to him, other than just hearing you guys talk about him. Um, mm-hmm. a super compelling guy. I mean, like very he holds your attention. Um, you know, and that's that's not. That's not a given. I've seen I've seen other magicians sort of attempt this kind of thing, um, you know, the dramatic stories or the whatever, and it doesn't doesn't all it doesn't all they can't they don't always pull it off. Um, although there was one part that made me laugh a little bit, which is when Derek uh, is doing the the cards and and he has a big reveal and he goes, "There's always going to be a little bit of wolf in me" or whatever. And I looked at him and I'm like, "No one has ever looked less like a wolf than Derek Delgado." <laughs> You look, uh, he, I mean, you know, I, I think Derek Dorgan is a very attractive man, but in that, in that uh, analogy, he looks more like the buns 
in Red Riding Hood's basket <laughs> being brought to grandma. <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah, this was not this is not a statement on on his attractiveness, just literally on how much he looks like a wolf, which is not at yeah. all. But <laughs> yeah. I mean he I mean, you know, it's <laughs> I just so, I just like in some ways his face looks like it's just finished proofing. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's too oh mean. I think he's um, very, he's a very handsome man. I think uh, so too. Yeah, just not a wolf. So I God, um, so I come back and I lost my train of thought. After <laughs> <the perfect laughs> I don't know. He just looks doughy. That's all. I like I like doughy men. Um, oh, look, I was going to say, at, given that you know ahead. Frank Oz, I believe did the the voice of the person that he's on the phone with. Um, which is pretty cool in and of itself. That is cool. Oh, I didn't I, know that. I, I didn't even I didn't even catch myself saying that. Um, to uh, but it is pretty cool. Oliver, I think there. I would love to see a cut where he's just doing Miss Piggy and does, oh. the, same, does the same call. <laughs> you could definitely cut in some Miss Piggy clips. I bet. And- yeah, there's a lot of great. I, I mean, you, there's a Yoda one that you could do. You know, there's a lot of great <laughs> Frank Oz that could have shown up as a voiceover. Um. um I was curious how, when you saw it live, how they worked in, because in the, in the Hulu version, obviously, there's lots of, like, you know, they've got, like, the illustrations and stuff that are sort of interspersed. Right. How did that work? Yeah, none of those were in there at all. Those were completely brand Okay, new I mean, that makes the, sense. Uh, for the but... show. Or at least I should, I should couch everything with this. In L.A., uh, um, I was aware they made some changes. I heard about some changes they made, and I talked to some people. Um who uh um who like worked on it and, and and saw it in LA and I and I heard some small things I can I think spoil one thing that I know was um was different in Los Angeles when you saw the show and at the there was an, the ending was something along the lines of like um there's a there's a after the the gun and the things fall there was a Chris do you remember this what I'm what I'm about to say uh. I feel like there's a big mirror. Yeah. So the entire floor of the, he talks to like, what do you see? Who are you or something? And he takes a step mm-hmm. back and very slowly, the entire floor of the stage starts to go and lift up. And like the table is like mounted to the floor. So like the table is going up with it too. And like cards and stuff are falling off. The entire floor lifts up to be revealed to be a mirror where in full house lighting, um, um, the audience just is staring at themselves, and then that's when the show's over, and that's when you get up and leave. And so in New York, I know that that did they did not do that, um, which I don't I don't know that hurt the experience for me at all, but I do think it is cleaner to just to end with the gun and the things falling, you know, by, yeah. by a lot for how much work it took to put that together. I assume I, that feels almost a little bit like a little on the nose. Like, all right, uh, we get right. it. We don't. We like, don't need this. This show's been about you the whole time. <laughs> Your mothers were lesbians. <laughs> what? I don't know. Uh, and then, um, yeah, there's a lot of hard realizations about people they're gay mothers. Um, uh, yeah, by the so- way, in the in the LA version, uh, one thing that it, it like um, they they did make us like at the end of a trick watch footage of celebrities reacting to the trick that we just saw. Right. Um, just to let us know that we were not important and that uh, Bill Gates was was more important. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Bill Gates. And then, yeah, and then, hey. then Marina Abramovich like, jogged by and was like, <laughs> fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> um, Actually, I think Marina Abramovich's work uh, is probably very influential with this on this show. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with her. I'm not familiar with her work, really. 
She is. Um, she did a show called The Artist Is Present. Um, I think in New York, where it was just she'd sit and you would just sit in a chair across from her and stare at her. Um, so, and like you, were, I think you were free to stare at her as long as you wanted to. Oh, okay. This is gonna be a a weird. Um, is she the? I feel like she's the person that they are parroting in the episode of um, documentary now. Probably. I haven't seen it, but probably. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, uh, Kate Blanchett is like this conceptual artist, and it's about... Oh, it's I gotta about, watch this. It's great. Yeah, so, that um, whole show, I think, is, is great. So, it, it, by a side note about Documentary Now, I think Documentary Now is really interesting. Uh, uh, there's times, though, where I feel like, like Grey Gardens and the Company do- uh, documentary... I feel are kind of interesting of, you know what, in and of themselves. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily feel that um, the, sometimes I feel like, I, I feel this way about Simpsons and even Mr. Show sometimes. Sometimes I feel that if you just sort of recreate the original thing, it's like, you should just watch Grey Gardens. Like Grey Gardens is, is funny and strange sort of on its own. Um, I will say I'm the, com- I, the company I'm not one I remember watching just to get. Uh, oh Great yeah, yeah, the musical, yeah. But you know, like um, the company documentary, it's more like you watch it and go like, oh, they really recreated the thing that I like already, mm-hmm. and so it's it feels a little bit like you're patting yourself on the back for like getting all the references or something. Oh, that's interesting. Um, anyway. Uh, the there I believe they made a movie called The Artist is Present about Marina Abramovich. And um similarly, actually, there's elements in that where it's like, um, oh, here's a celebrity that came and did it. <laughs> and like right. because people would stare at her and then they'd like spontaneously start crying. Um it's something about the feeling of that show of like people just appreciate being seen. Uh, I think is present in this show as well. Yeah, I think that is true. Um, I, uh, uh, I I think one of the strengths that this show had, uh, or this um, the adaptation had, was that you you they got to pick who they showed to you, and so they they you you got to see people having really profound experiences. Um, you know, obviously when you see it live, there is a total gamble on the people that will be pulled up stage and how they will react to any given experience. Uh, and I don't remember, someone was asking me this the other day and they're asking me like, if the times I saw it, if people reacted like that. And I think the truth is I, 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 I do feel like they reacted. I don't really remember how the people reacted when I saw it, if they were as emotional as the people, uh, on screen were, but I guess the fact that I don't really have a huge, uh, memory of, of how they responded and, and how people reacted, I guess sort of means that they probably didn't react that strongly. Like it didn't leave too much, too much of a imprint on me. Um, but I do think that was one of the strengths the show had was, was being able to show, you know, six or seven people have very heavy emotional reactions to those letters or to have their, you know, um, cards called, uh, I think was very, very effective in, in trying to get across the emotion of the show and the themes of the show. I think that um, uh, I don't know what you call this in magic, but there's some element of uh, when when you talk about having this emotional reaction. Um, what do you call it in magic when we when you like 
um, frame the context of something so that uh, the person responds in the way that you want them to without like telling them or pre-showing them or something like that. Because um, not- I, I think the whole, co- Oh, sorry. Is there a name for that in math? Uh, um, describe that again. I'm not totally sure. I well, I'll describe it in the context of this show, which is that I think there's something important about the, um, the fact that you're in the Geffen or you're in, you're in a nice theater venue. You're with honestly a bunch of, like primarily a bunch of wealthy white people. Um, you're in, in other words, you're in a prestige theater environment and uh, the show itself, the content of the show is emotional so that when you get brought up on stage, there's this theatrical context that you're going to respond. Like, you know how you're supposed to perform a little bit as a spectator, as opposed to just being like, I don't know that this letter is bullshit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, the same way that hypnotists are kind of like creating this context where like even if you don't feel hypnotized, you're going to flap your arms like a chicken because right. you're just going along with it. Um, I wonder, it seems like a lot of thought has been put into this show around that sort of thinking. And and also made me think about um, like this is not a knock on the show, but like I don't think the show would work at like the palace in the castle. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's definitely- even, even like chunks of it I don't think would work. I think that is true. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I definitely know what you mean. I think um, one of my friends once pointed out, uh, my friend Alex Boyce, who's a very talented magician, um, he pointed something out once at Magic Live, and it was the exact same thing you're talking about, just even within the context of magic. And it was, uh, he had like a one sentence, really funny um, distillation of, of, of what the idea was. But it was the idea that a magician explains how spectators always do this particular action in magic shows and then goes watch and then gives somebody the opportunity to do that action. And then of course they're going to do what they were just like told out loud. They were going to, you know, that spectators always do. And then the magicians like, see, they always do this as if like, as if there was ever an actual opportunity for that person to do something else. It was like choosing between two is forcing um, two objects on somebody and one's in his left hand and one's in his right hand. And he was going, now the way it was wine glasses. That's what it was. And he was standing in a certain way. One of the wine glasses was gimmick to do something. And he's standing in a certain way. And he goes, if you stand right here, if you stand this and you ask them to point to one, it's physically uncomfortable to point to this one. So they'll always point to this one. So it's like a really clean, good way of forcing that. And then he goes, see what? And he goes, I'll stand right here. Now try to you know, point, at, uh, point at one of these wine glasses. And they do that. And he goes, see, it would have been physically uncomfortable from the point, the point of the other one. And then my friend afterwards was like, of course, he just loudly announced that they always do this. If they pointed at the <laughs> other one, there would have been an enormous asshole. Of course, you know. And he had like a one-sentence term for it of like magician tells people what happens or, or you know, or, 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 or like bases strength of trick off of like spectator kindness or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, actually, the, uh, like the, I, I, the occur, what occurs to me is that a great achievement of in and of itself is that he kind of diffuses. And I felt this in the live show. And I think this is true with the reactions that I have seen to the, the film show. He diffuses a lot of people's, instincts to want to debunk the magic um and maybe that's part of the distancing from magic shows and magicians and the industry or whatever but it's it feels like the focus has moved away from the 
you know, hey, I did this thing, figure out how to do it. Right. I think that comes a lot with, um, there's no, like, verbal proving. You know what I mean? He doesn't have three people come up to that wall after everything's fallen off and go, check that. Is that solid? Is that open? Is that, are those gone? (laughs) (laughs) Imagine how awful that would be. Are these actual drawings? Um, (laughs) Aaron, you, you said you watched it twice. I did. Um, Yes. Uh, and the second time, not by yourself. Correct. And what d- d- what was the reaction of the person you watched it with, or and or was there any talk about like, hey, how did he do this thing? So what's funny about that is that um, so the person I watched it with, uh, my boyfriend, is very interested in magic, but he doesn't really he d- it's not he's not something he knows a lot about. Um, and so I, just to give you like a little bit of context back when we first met, which was like on hinge, um, we are in our first conversation. He asked me to like, Oh, tell me like briefly summarize the last 10 years of your life, whatever. And I, and I had all this stuff. I've done a lot of stuff. And it ended with, I went and stage managed my friend's magic show. And he goes, Oh, your friend's a magician. And like, that's what he wanted to talk about <laughs> um, rather than anything else that I've done. Uh, but <laughs> I will say Aaron immediate red flag. <laughs> um no it's all good it's good. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> uh but so anyway so he, he's very interested in magic and um so he, he was excited to watch it and but what's what's funny is that i um i was kind of worried about talking about the show because it's been so long since i've had really much contact with magic that i felt like what if i've forgotten everything um and even even when i felt you know even when i was stage managing john's show literally living with a magician helping to like set up the show every day i still like we'd go see magic shows i never i could never figure out how anything was done so he did sort of have to put up with me pausing every once in a while and me going okay let me tell you how i think this works (laughs) um but uh so yeah i don't he didn't um i don't think he really had any like theories about anything but he was very interested in my theories and i kept having to qualify qualify it by saying like listen i'm probably wrong about all of this but um but yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun and the second time i think i was i was paying a little bit more attention because the second time i did notice like those edits and those cuts away and 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 things like that but um uh man i don't even remember what the question was chris (laughs) oh just just like what what um and you answered it just the question of like um how much debunking and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, there wasn't a lot of it. And I think that something sort of like what you said about it sort of um, makes the, it puts the audience in a place where they they don't necessarily want to debunk it. And I think that is especially true for a show like this, which is so um, based in like, it's, it's in a very sort of like emotional space almost. And when you see other people having these like profound experiences, it's almost like you want to be part of it. You don't want to like, you don't want to debunk it. You want to you want to have this this intense experience that everybody else is having. Um, I don't know if it would have been if 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 that would have been the same had it not been the kind of show that it is. You know, if it was just if it was just effects with without this emotional context, I don't know if if the response would have been quite the same. That's a very interesting observation. Uh, you, you said something like that a little bit earlier that uh, about special effects in theater that made me. Um think of this before i get to that though i do have to flame you a little bit for one thing and that is that every time your boyfriend has ever come up in conversation it is mentioned that he loves magic and loves magic still have not met him uh so I, i'm gonna yeah, john we're in we're in a pandemic um, um <laughs> zoom exists come on help me out here all right we'll um, make it happen 
Cool. Also, you uh, did actually meet him briefly over Zoom for like five seconds one time. That's oh. right. You two walked. You don't no, even no, no, remember. No, 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 no. He came to the. He didn't come to the foreground of the call. I was talking to her brother and friend, and they walked by in the background and waved. That does not count. Right, that's fair enough. Ah, uh, someone's got the receipts. Um, uh, anyway, but uh, um, um, so if Christian is out there and does exist, I'd love to meet him. At He's going to listen to this episode. Uh, He's very excited about it. I figured he would. And I figured if he, I was like, <laughs> if I say this and he hears it, he'll, you know, the, the wheels might start to turn on this. And anyway, you, uh, 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 Teller said something once. I You might have heard me say this before because I feel like I might have used it as bad scripting for magic before. And you might have heard that. I don't remember when I did or under what context. But Teller had this idea about... Um, uh, the difference between magic and theater, sort of the, 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 the sort of the main cardinal difference. And and one of the things he said was that in theater, you can be very emotionally affected by watching two people fight on stage with sticks and um, using them as swords. And when one person catches a stick under their armpit and they fall over and die, you can still cry. Um, and, he was, mm-hmm. and you have a willing suspension of disbelief over what you're seeing because you want to engage with the um, emotion. You don't really yeah. care if you see P- the wire carrying Peter Pan. You're still excited when you see um, when you see him fly for the first time, like that sort of thing, because you exactly. want to connect with that. And he goes, in magic, it's the exact opposite. You can't go along with it, even if you wanted to. Because I could show you a box that's closed and go, this is an empty box, and then open it and have a tiger come out, and you'll feel nothing. Even if you want to believe that that box is empty, you just can't unless I show it to you. And he goes, the difference between magic and theater is that while theater is a willing suspension of disbelief, magic is an unwilling suspension of disbelief. Uh, Which I thought was a very uh, spot-on observation. I remember you, I do remember you telling me that. Yeah, and and I think that's that's kind of exactly what it is. I mean, it's because it's sort of this show while a magic show like it it centers the storytelling it kind of centers the the theatricality of it which kind of transforms that disbelief from unwilling to willing um which probably works in its favor especially translated to this medium where as you say like it doesn't it's not how you would normally present magic because there are so many with the edits and stuff there are so many like points we can go wait you know i didn't see that or you know what did he do when the camera wasn't looking but you don't really care because right um it's theater and and you know you're supposed to be impressed and so you are um yeah and i think on on I, top I, of just I, centering I, I, of oh go ahead chris no i was gonna say that i i've been thinking about um the it, it's almost like the umbrella of magic shows, because it does feel like more like theater than a magic show, right? But I almost feel like it's, it's almost like uh, when I've talked to before about magic, that magic tries to include like a show like this and a guy doing walk around at a restaurant and something else. It's like almost all the genres of theater trying to be under like one thing. Yeah. Um, it almost feels like what we think of as shows at the castle or like acts at the castle are generally kind of like almost the equivalent of like sketch comedy in a way of like there's this i'm just trying to think of the way that the audience expects to enjoy it you know mm-hmm. they they like generally the most i would say 80 percent of the acts that i've seen at the castle the audience is not like oh i'm coming here to be moved you know right <laughs> um and, and i wonder if that goes to the marketing of the uh of the of the show and actually and going off what you said a minute ago about like the uh, centering the theater of it. I even say um, even more than that, I feel like they've also centered like 
the real emotional reactions of these people. I think that is yeah. something you also don't get at the castle. It is very, you know, moving. If every person we saw react to that letter went, oh, this is cool. That Wow, that's wild. Thank you, man. This is fun. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. And sat down. We'd probably be having a lot more conversations collectively about like, oh, how did he do that? That's wild. But if, yeah. if every person starts fucking sobbing, um, and this woman's talking about her dying father. You, you know, you're that that becomes yeah. the anchor at the magic castle. Nobody is nobody is, starts to sob when the magician pretends to put a knife through your dinner jacket, right? And they're like, you can see it, you know, it tear through a dollar bill. And they tear it through. And they're like, it's repaired now. Nobody has this like visceral emotional experience. I mean, experience. it would so be cool if like <laughs> if you went to the castle and someone drew a picture of a bowling ball and then a bowling ball showed up and you just started sobbing. <laughs> just like, just like <laughs> my father was know. killed by a bowling ball. <laughs> That's true. And yeah, uh, you're but- absolutely right. It, it takes the focus totally off of the effect itself and onto the, um, and onto the emotional response of the person. And I, I think that... Um, yeah, that's a really, really good point because we're no longer interested in in the how of it. Um, it's it's the the sort of the result. I think that's um, the difference between going to the castle. People are laymen are just going to the castle to have a good time. Like yeah. they're just there to drink and party with their friends from work at this corporate event where they all have the same pin on their jacket or whatever. <laughs> you know, um, and. The, that those same people wouldn't go to the Geffen to just drink and have a good time. Yeah. Um, and so now I, my concern is that I feel like right now a lot of magicians are th- – th- this is the show that they're like asking their non-magician friends to watch to kind of be like, hey, what I do isn't stupid. Look at this. <laughs> right. Um, but then I also feel I'm concerned that similar to how I feel like the original theater show had a fair number of imitators – um, that I don't like, I don't know if, how often can you create that same sense of, of emotional engagement in your, you know, anniversary. Well, my, actually anniversary world is probably not a good example, <laughs> but like, you know, in your little, in your tw- 21 card deal or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like, is it, it, it's like a mismatch of like goals almost. Right. Yeah, no, I definitely see what you mean, I, as I think, um, and a difference in, like, understanding of what the audience, like, wants and how to read how to read the room. Um, I mean, I mean, that said, I would love it if there was some venue at the castle or some, like, it'd be cool if once a week or twice a month you could see a show like that at the castle, which mm-hmm. arguably, I guess you could in the Peller or something, or, or yeah, if it was a yeah. special event. I saw, um, was that Ben Schrader's show? Uh, it was like one of the right. first times I was ever at the castle. That one about that was all about lying, um, and that had sort of a similar, it, it had sort of a similar feel to it. So, I think it's it's there, but it's not. I mean, that's the only time I've ever seen something like that at the castle, though. So, right. In fact, Derek and and uh, Helder, his former partner, their show um, uh, "Nothing to Hide," which played Geffen for a long time and also had a very long successful run in New York, that started as a show in the Peller as well. And that was mm. one of the sort of the first like big propeller shows uh, to come out of that to come out of the, that room. Ah, uh, so really, it was Jack that like put them together in the Peller. No, they were they had been best friends for years before that. Oh, okay, okay. Because I know the Peller has a lot of like, hey, you and you should do a show together or something. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. Uh. 
It does have it does have some things um, like that. So yeah, no, that was an instance where they probably came to him with the show or something. Oh uh, no, I, you know what? Actually, I think they talk about that in the show. I think one of them was going to do a show with somebody else, and then that second person to drop out, and then they kind of put a show together. Oh, with like cool. two months or something to go, or like a month and a half to go, and they went, "Oh, we should do something like that." I, I I think something like that. I could be way off. There could be a bunch of people yelling at their phones right now, like, "No, that's not how it happened." Yeah, I mean, uh, well, the great thing is they're still best friends and they get along. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do not get along. That's, uh, that's I'm just rough. catching Aaron up on that. They 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 don't even acknowledge each other's existence anymore. I appreciate um, the background info. Thank you. I mean, I love this. The love the drama. Um, I, I have learned during the pandemic that um, human beings just want to create drama in their own in whatever their community or bubble is because like this week this week i caught up on twitch drama Ooh, what <laughs> which is uh there's a whole world of twitch streaming related drama that's insane i love it um and like in every single context there's just like people that like don't get along and i guess the difference is like twitch streamers like air it out <laughs> live on public streaming video or right. twitter and um you know, a lot of magician drama is probably like in the in the at the owl bar or something. Yes, that is that is where a lot of it is, and it's uh, I I'm on Facebook. I, I I spend too much time on my phone, so I deleted Facebook and Instagram as apps off my phone. Um, so I'm on them very rarely now, and boy, am I happier. Oh, I will say, uh, speaking of Facebook, I'd like to say a public uh, fuck you to the guy that harassed uh, Ed Kwan. Uh, for speaking up in the LA Times article, we could probably have a whole episode about the LA. Oh Times yeah, article. and we should. I feel like yeah. comedy and magic have both had a lot of public things happen recently. Um, equal in weight, UCB Sunset closed down, and the Magic Council was dragged by the LA Times. Equally devastating things yeah. to the community. Uh, but by um, the way, do do is it public knowledge? The guy that like uh, like uh, harassed Ed over that thing. I mean, it went around Facebook, so I, I I don't know what public knowledge is necessarily, but uh, uh, yeah, I wasn't well, part of any secret groups, and I saw it. Yeah, so the guy who goes by His Majesty the King or whatever, the close-up dude that we saw. Right. Who, by the way, was racist in the show that I saw at the castle. Uh, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> I'll just um, say, I'm, yeah. I'm not a magician. I don't, like, in that sense, so, like, I don't care if he's mad at me. Yeah, there's some horribly inappropriate stuff said. That was very, very inappropriate. Um just the way that some people were treated in, in, after that article came out, um, or even just leading up to it, people who were speaking out about these issues were just some of them treated just terribly by people in the uh, in the AMA and the page. And it's really, really, really disgusting um, to see the way some people have and, uh, reacted. And I'm pretty sure you'll be able to read about all of it in Joe Furlow's book, which I believe is going to be coming out eventually. Oh, um, exciting. Yeah. I'm sure uh, that'll Joe be very... The, the general manager of the Magic Castle, who just resigned after being sort of attacked by um, everybody. It is hard to sum up and like, oh, how do I talk about it in, in, in 45 seconds? Oh, we could talk about, about, you know, in its own episode. Yeah. Wait, um, does, does but, this have anything to do with the, the LA Times dragging the Magic Castle? Because I don't know anything about that either. Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, Google the words Magic Castle and LA Times, and you can read a long, horrifying article for yourself. Um, okay. Can't uh, wait. An article that, that I support, of, uh, by the way. I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. It was a very important article to to have be, to be written and have come out. Uh, See, I'm this sorry. is the thing. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that Ed Kwan, who was quoted in that article. He kind of um, like bookends it. He sort then, of like in, opens and closes the article. 
Yeah, and then he was uh, he was the target of racism at the castle, which actually Got honestly it. was genuinely surprising to me because I feel like there are a lot of Asian magicians. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of shocking to me that you would have, you know, like shoot is like a like a well respected person at the ca- like I don't know. There's honestly there's so many Asian magicians that it, it seems like there wouldn't be the space to be like racist towards an Asian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oh, I mean, they found you know, it. The castle could. Yeah. Oh, people will find a way, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, he was also uh, private messaged uh, by the HM King guy or whatever, and apparently was. Uh, he was also an asshole there. Um, Interesting. So. Because, yeah, some people were furious that people had spoken to the LA Times and contributed to this, like, you know, what they believed was this defamatory article. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, he sent Ed Kwan a message that was pretty, uh, pretty crazy uh, um, and, and, and horrifying. <laughs> See, John, this is the this is the problem with, you know, this whole quarantine and you not being at our house like every weekend anymore is I don't get any of the magic drama. <laughs> and the podcast has been dormant. So, yeah. So I've, I've really been uh, been needing my fix. So I appreciate this. Um, yeah, uh, I'm happy to have you give you all that tea. On, uh, <laughs> oh, bef- before we go, and I'm it's not, we'll probably be wrapping up in a minute, but um I have been watching uh, since last week. I've been watching a lot of Taskmaster because you know, as as you're aware, it's all on YouTube. And uh-huh. you were the first person to introduce me to Taskmaster on one of those many nights hanging out at your home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what it. this is, so give me the pitch. Oh, so Taskmaster is a uh, British kind of like a game show, but not really. And it has a, every season is at five British comedians who have to do silly tasks and win points for them, like challenges and stuff that are filmed, most of them off site. And, you know, you have to get this egg into this hole a hundred yards away without doing this thing. And you have, um, you know, quickest time wins and stuff like that. And it's sort of mm. watching comedians do this in a very, very silly way. It's a very entertaining show. I did a version of it last week on Harrison uh, Greenbaum and Patrick Davis's show scam. They did like a magic version of taskmaster. And so since then I was like, Oh, I should, uh, um, go back and watch this. This is a really fun show. And, um, the reason I brought it up was because the season I watched, season seven, which features one of Aaron's favorite comedians, James Acaster, which is why mm-hmm. I watched it because he's one of the people I recognized, um, also yeah. had a comedian on it named Phil Wang, who I did not uh, yeah, recognize. He's great. Exactly, he's great. I did not recognize him until every single um, every single uh, remote that he is in, which is like two per episode, two or three per episode for 10 episodes, he's wearing his yellow and black striped outfit that he was on the poster of his Edinburgh show. I remember seeing these giant posters of somebody in a, in a, that thing. And I was like, Oh shit. As soon as I was like, Oh, he's the guy whose posters were all over Edinburgh and the show kept selling out. Um, Oh, now I need to look it up. (laughs) Um, by the way, a lot of, uh, Jordan Brooks, uh, uh, stuff has been released on YouTube. Oh, uh, speaking of comedians. Aaron, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, yeah. are you, have you watched Big Fat Quiz? No, I think I have heard of it. It's a British show, right? Yeah. So Big Fat Quiz, they do one every year. So they'll uh-huh. do the Big Fat Quiz of 2020. Um, but I would definitely recommend that to you because uh, in the last couple of years, James Acaster has been a regular. On the- I Yeah, I think I have seen bits of it with him because I just, I, every once in a while, I'll just like go on YouTube and watch things that James A. Caster has been on. Actually, interestingly enough, sort of speaking of comedy, since this is also a comedy podcast, I'm told. Um, Some months. 
So some months. Um, I had James A. Caster's uh, most recent special. By the way, his his four part special on Netflix. If you haven't watched it, is so good. It's like four stand up specials that all sort of like uh, kind of weave into each other with a story. It's amazing, and you should definitely watch it. But also, he did a special last year called or a couple years ago called Cold Lasagna Hate Myself 1999, and um, it I paid to watch like the stream of it a few months back and. I like had to stop partway through and then the link expired um, and I didn't get to finish it. And I happened to mention that in a, in a comment on Reddit on a totally unrelated subreddit and had no fewer than three people send me a bootleg of the, of the comedy special. Uh. Um, so I've started watching it again and uh, highly recommend it. If you're interested, I know a place where you can get it. Um, and that place is me. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really right, good. Everybody. Contact cool. Aaron I mean, Hollander for all of your bootleg needs. <laughs> for uh, your for Netflix your one bootleg liquor. need. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we are gonna forward this podcast to the FBI after. Oh right. no, man! Uh, you saw those warnings at the beginning of those uh, DVDs. <laughs> I was gonna say VHS tapes, but you guys probably never watched. Do you remember the, I, the early I had VHS 2000s? tapes. Oh, did you? Okay. I grew up in the nineties. Early to mid two thousands. Um, DVDs all had this like you would remember you wouldn't steal a purse you wouldn't steal a phone (laughs) yeah you wouldn't steal Uh, a car and it was yeah and it was like somebody walking through and it was like someone selling movies on the sidewalk and the music was all like Uh, it was like really hardcore you wouldn't steal a car so why steal a movie the thing is the thing is that I would steal someone's car if they got to keep their car like Yeah, if I got a perfect copy of the car and they mm-hmm. also kept their car, so we both have a car, like yeah, it's a really In fact, good they'd point. probably give me their car or post on a public site where they could you can get a copy of their car. Aaron, wait, so you so uh, John's recommending Taskmaster. I was going to ask Aaron if you had anything uh, else currently that you like, or anything new in pandemic that you're checking out or. Oh man, see, I'm terrible when it comes to watching new things. I, I for a lot of the pandemic, I felt like I didn't have the uh, emotional energy to get invested in something new. So I've just been rewatching a bunch of old stuff. But I can tell you some shows that hold up really well. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, Buffy holds up great. Boy Meets World, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> been re- been rewatching uh, Sister Sister just as sort of like a nostalgic childhood Ooh, thing. That one does not hold yet. up. Yeah, that one really. No. Well, they hold up fine. The creepy neighbor does not hold up. The creepy <laughs> neighbor is worse than ever. Um, and like my mouth is just hanging in horror like half the time, and everybody just thinks it's really funny. But no, he's a straight up pervert. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I haven't really been getting into anything into anything new uh nope i've led a very boring existence lately sorry uh i want to recommend uh one thousand percent the tv show halt and catch fire on netflix one of my favorite shows of all time having watched it in the pandemic um it is tremendous it is so good i can't i just like it made me sad that i didn't watch it while it was on because it basically was this amc show that was like theoretically like a follow like their new prestige show after Mad Men or Breaking Bad and it just didn't get any ratings at all and it's actually lucky that it went as many seasons as it did but I wish I had been able to support it so that because I would love to have more of it uh Halt and Catch Right is incredible uh and then I just started uh, a show I've never 
really read anything about or I've just heard of, which is Babylon 5 on HBO Max. Right. Um, which is a, a very interesting science fiction show. You know, it's in the Star Trek kind of uh, genre. Mm-hmm. But it's like um, it's all, I, so far. I'm about eight episodes in, and so far it feels to me like the American Doctor Who, in that the production values are terrible, um, but the writing is very thoughtful. Um, hmm. And I realized that I've been watching a lot of stuff in the pandemic where I've been like, "Oh, this is so prescient of our time." Like I watched this. Uh, Eric and I are watching the best picture movies in order. Right. Um, and we watched All the King's Men. In All the King's Men, uh, spoiler for a movie from 1950, there is a demagogue from Louisiana who loses these elections. And then he realizes if he just starts ranting at his public speeches, he gets these followers. And he just he starts to become this like public uh, rallying people and telling them that you know they're tr- mistreating the little man. And then he gets power. He wins an election, and he starts bribing people. He he's corrupted by power. Um, and then uh, the state government has a hearing on whether they should impeach him. And then he holds a public rally. And at this point in the movie, I turned to Eric and I was like, "Are they going to storm the Capitol?" And literally the next scene is all of his followers come out and storm the Capitol building. Oh, my God. That's um, amazing. So what I realized, though, after watching Babylon 5, because this last episode of Babylon 5 that I watched, uh, there is a uh, there's a group called like Earth Force or something that is um, supporting the idea that human beings should have all the jobs and that aliens should not come and take jobs um, at the space station, that there's a purity that humans need to preserve. And I was like, oh, these these works of art are not prescient in that they're predicting what's going to happen in 2020 or 2021. They're just describing the human condition when they were made, and we're just the same. <laughs> right. That is something um, on um, uh, on that podcast I like unspooled where they initially went through the um, uh, AFI's top 100 movies of all time. That is something they kind of realized was like the movies that hold up best are the movies that still were so timely that they still sort of talk about human nature today. And the ones that don't focused on very, very sort of like trendy things that just don't hold up now that we don't think about that aren't like really the way we see the world. Um, yeah. Uh, and they're like that. It seemed to be the underlying theme on, on sort of what made, uh, what made these movies sort of whether the test of time or not. Yeah. Uh, well then, I'll recommend uh, um, just a couple good movies uh, out. Some hot movies. Uh, um, if, you, if you haven't seen uh, One Night in Miami, is great, really good. That is talk about a movie that that um, that you know th- th- it's about these four people having a conversation. I think it's what 1964, um, and uh, uh, talk about a movie that could be um, made about today as well. Uh, the discussions about race. Really enjoyed that. Um, some great performances in that. Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, is probably the only person in the world that could play Sam Cooke as well as he did. Uh, mm. So definitely recommend that. Uh, also, Promising <laughs> Young Woman, fantastic. Um, very difficult to watch sometimes, but really, really, really good. Really great, like, thriller. Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, really wonderful. So I would recommend, I recommend those. Cool. Um, last, so yeah, so, so Aaron, overall, what, what, what were your, your final thoughts on, uh, on in and of itself? Should people go watch this magic slash not magic show? You know, I th- I think that they should. I think, uh, I mean, I can't speak for magicians, but 
I feel like um, magicians and non-magicians alike have have something to. There's something there for everybody, which I guess is sort of the point, right? Um, trying to make it give it broad appeal, and it seems to have worked. And you know, I teared up, so I think it did its job. And I found it pretty impressive. Yeah, I think I probably liked this more than the live shows. I think the themes land a lot more. I think the emotion land a lot more. So I would, I would definitely say go watch this if you have Hulu. Um, go. Why have you not watched it? It's it's free now. Go watch it. <laughs> well, yeah. No, it- also, why did you listen to this episode if you haven't watched it? <laughs> right. Uh, it's all Aaron, my thank you so much for. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Aaron brought over. <laughs> Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. No problem. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. To us. And John, um, uh, we, we should talk about the LA Times article at some we point. We should talk about the LA Times article next week. Um, there's a lot to talk about, and uh, we should get into all of it. Some real, real, also, real fucking bummer stuff. Oh, Aaron, John, what, how, how can people follow you if they want to get find out oh, more info about you? Oh, if they want to follow me and all of my interesting things I'm not doing during the pandemic, uh, my Instagram is... Aaron Hollander underscore. Um, there, I I really don't post very often, so it's not much to see. But welcome to come take a look at my selfies. Um, but uh, yeah, and and John, when we're when we're done at some point, I also need to have a conversation with you where I go through every trick in the show and try to tell you how I think it was done, and you can tell me <laughs> that um, I'm wrong. So. The interesting thing well. is there's there's probably two or three sh- tricks in the show where you were probably right. Um, because mm. there's kind of one of those like, is it that? And like, yeah, it's pro- it's probably that. You, you know what I mean? They're so, uh, I don't yeah. think, everyone knows what I mean. I don't have to say it. You all, you all know what I mean, yeah. audience. Oh, and by the way, when I saw it live in L.A., uh, Eric and I drove to find the brick and the brick wasn't there. Uh, someone must have so. stolen it. Well, and I tweeted at Derek Delgadio, and he said, "Like, yep, someone stole it." So that was that was very annoying to me. That is a bummer. How far did you have to go to find the brick to, to look for the? Not brick? far. It was uh, La Brea and uh, I want to say Melrose or something like that. Oh yeah, that's not too or, far. No, La Brea and Beverly, and it was uh, not there. And, like, like we went there fast. <laughs> Damn. But. Like we didn't stay for the second half of the show. We just <laughs> yeah, yeah. As soon as he said you, that, we you we, left we with were the like, guy in the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I took, I, I uh, punched that guy, stole the book. Um, then, yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so we'll be pu- publishing these a little more regularly now. And um, John, uh, I guess we'll see you next time. Yeah, talk, talk to y'all next week.